What's up, everybody? I'm your friendly neighborhood quarantine pastor coming live from my house, soon to be in a different location for next week, which I'll talk a little bit about in today's message. But I have a word for you today. Before we get into this word, there's a link beneath this sermon if you want to give. Thank you for all your support during this time. And also, if you need help during this time, you can let us know right now. And if you want to join our discipleship to be a part of our Zoom prayer and worship meeting, we took communion today, the first of the month, you can chat and we'll make sure to get you that link as well. Let me just say this, I miss everybody in the church and I can't wait to fellowship with you face to face, hopefully sooner than later. Today's word is going to be on a Christian response to tyranny. Go ahead and share if you care. Let's get all of our friends and neighbors here. Today, what I want to talk about has been spurred on by what's happened because of COVID. Now, let me just give you a quick introduction. And by the way, the notes are online. That link will be posted as well if you want to follow along with my notes. By the way, let me just say this. How many believe that God had a plan for COVID? Let me just ask you that. I believe it's part of his judgment. I don't mean that individually as we get sick that we're getting judged by God. Great Christian leaders got sick. Christians that I know got sick. I could have got sick. People have died. I could have died. But what I mean, as I've talked about before, is that God had a plan to show what the earth deserves because of our sin. We don't deserve a, a, a healthy body. We don't deserve life and flourishing. We deserve plagues and sickness and death. But God has kept that from us so that we can flourish. And from time to time, I believe God removes his hand, thinking about this as us, God removes his hand of protection for us to see what it would be like without him, to remind us of the nearness of death, the frailty of life, and specifically upon nations like ourselves who have forgotten his commands and turned in many ways to idols to remind us that we do need God. So yes, I do believe God had a plan for COVID. Now that COVID has been with us for some time, I have been interested in the science, the evidence, what's going on. What I noticed is that it became a divide and that political lines were drawn, sadly. And I began to notice that the same news outlets that promote abortion, homosexuality, that promote the taking away of Christians' rights, meaning they like it when businesses like owned by Christians are sued because they do things based on their conscience, which by the way, all businesses should have the right to refuse service and we as customers should be able to find another business to take their place if we don't like that. But the same news media outlets that promote an ungodly worldview, the way they see the world is ungodly, through their views on abortion, homosexuality, the rights of Christians, was the same ones promoting the extension of unconstitutional lockdowns in the states like Illinois that are known to be over-the-top liberal, and they were promoting that at the cost of science, at the cost of evidence, at the cost of our Christian rights, speaking specifically today to Christians in the church, and to our constitutional rights. We have two sets of rights, and they should overlap. The rights given to us by God as Christians in the Word, and the rights given to us through God and the government, by God rather, through the government to us. Remember, as the Declaration of Independence states, that it's not the government that gives the rights. They're the ones who affirm the rights from the Creator who gave the rights. And so though there's two kinds of rights, one for the religious purpose, one for the governmental purpose, they both find their source in God, especially in a nation like America where we've even acknowledged that. Well, I noticed that our rights were being violated as Christians and as American citizens. And so last week, as I was getting privy to all of this, I started to consider preaching about it. And then I said, well, Lord, I'm in the middle of this sermon series on John. What should I do? And I felt the Lord say, son, go ahead, finish the series, conclude what John taught the people, and then I'll guide you from there. But at the 
end of our worship time, coming into our sermon time here, because I go live into Facebook. I'm still here on Zoom, but I transition primarily from focusing on Zoom to the live feed. I felt the Lord give me the word that he had put in my heart that week that I needed to express before I got into 1 John. Well, little did I know that God was already up to something, especially in a state like Illinois. Monday, a state representative went and sued the governor because of his new plans that he had for lockdown moving forward in May, and he had a restraining order put against the governor. And then I started to see that there was more protest from small businesses and from churches, even in our state, saying that they were going to open up. And I began to realize that at this point, I needed to tie together what the Lord had said to me with the confirmation as well as what I can learn through history. So I went through the word this week, went back over history, learned a lot more about what had happened in the beginning, even in America. And by the way, let me say this. I'm not equating everything Christian with everything in America, but I do want to say America has a unique foundation. We are not a Christian nation by definition of Christian nation, meaning ruled by a Christian set of laws. Our Bible is not our constitution, and I'm actually happy for that. The pilgrims and others wanted that at one time, but we are ruled by a constitution. But listen, the constitution is based on Christian principles. So we are a Christian nation, not based on where our law comes from and how we govern, but where our people, where our people base the laws they make come from. And that's because unlike Islam, unlike other religion, Christianity does not have a civil law, a law that stands above civil government and we enact upon that law. We don't have that. The Old Testament did, the New Testament didn't. So what we can do as Christians as we come into power or have the ability to make governmental decisions is we can use the Bible as a source, as a foundation for the principles, the laws we will come up with. Because until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, there will not be a Christian a nation according to God, specifically spelled out by God. We don't have that. But Christians should be in government. Christians should be uh, using their influence to vote, to make laws, and do all of those wonderful things. And if somebody says, Joe, I don't want that Bible in government. Okay, well, I don't want your atheistic worldview in government either. If you're going to take out, uh, if you're going to say, I have to take out my worldview to come into government, then you have to take out your which the truth is, we all come with our worldview, we all come with our presuppositions, we all come with our foundations, and then now we fairly and justly work it out in a democratic republic. Having said all of that, I went back this week. And I began to study a Christian response to tyranny. Did you know that all throughout the Bible, the godly have responded to tyranny? Let me start off with this introduction. I like to be sassy. Maybe you might say, uh, Pastor, I went to a church and that pastor told me he would never talk about politics. And I think that's the way pastors should be. Well, I feel sorry for you that you were underneath a, a spineless jellyfish. I think, uh, Pastor, I think we can call that Evan a jellyfish. You were under a spineless leader. I'm sorry about that because the Bible all throughout it speaks to power, speaks to government, speaks to what's going on in the world. Have you ever read the prophets? Have you ever read how the prophets had to deal with the kings? Have you ever read about our Christians being before governmental leaders? So if somehow you got it in your mind that a godly person shouldn't do such a thing, you have no idea what the Bible actually teaches. So I am not an evangelifish. You have here a real man of God, full of courage and a backbone, willing to use it. But let's say you would not agree with that. Well, you know who would agree with you? The British during the American Revolution, they hated the clergy. You know who also would agree with you? Those who owned slaves in the white racist South, they hated the preachers in the pulpit as well as those white racists during the civil rights movement in the South hated what the church had to say about racism. 
as well as those who were Nazis in the time of Germany did not want the freedom of speech in the pulpit to give them a hard time. So don't be like the British, the slave-owning racists or civil right, uh, anti-civil rights racists or Nazis. Don't be like them. Promote the pulpit and the freedom that it should bring. Promote the preaching in the pulpit. And by the way, I have links there. You can study in history about what God has done through the clergy during times of tyranny and thank God for those leaders. But let's go to the life of Jesus because everybody somehow sees Jesus as just a guy who just hung out all the time. He's almost like a hippie Jesus. Somebody had put up a post and they had said, well, Republican Jesus must not like the poor because he cuts programs to the poor and all of this, this and that. Well, you know what? There's different views on how the poor should be taken care of, etc. But what about the Democratic Jesus who believes in killing a thousand unborn children every day in the womb or supporting homosexuality, a.k.a. sodomy, according to the Bible? You know, let's not make this political because I'm not here for an elephant and I'm not here for a donkey. I'm here for the Lamb of God. Can I get somebody to chat amen? But you should be able to find in political parties some place that lines up most closely to your values. So I'll let you decide which ones do that. There's really only about four different ways to do that in our country. Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Libertarian. That's pretty much our choices. And so you're going to have to, with your conscience, find which group agrees with you most. But once again, people sometimes just see Jesus as hippie Jesus. Jesus never caused anybody no problems. And they crucified him because they loved him so much. And he never called anybody names either. Jesus was nice. It's not, it's not just Christianity. It's niceanity that we like to follow around here. Oftentimes people will see a video of us preaching on the street. And of course their pastor doesn't preach on the street. He's too afraid to do so. But we'll be preaching on the street and someone will confront us and argue with us and then they'll come to us maybe on a chat or a comment or even as a passer buyer and they'll go, tisk, tisk, tisk. You're giving Christianity a bad name. You arguing out here with these sinners. How dare you? And sometimes they feel like they have to apologize. I've even had Christians try to apologize to the sinners that are causing us so much uh, heartache on the street by being gospel blockers, you know, hindering the gospel. They'll say, I am sorry. Not all Christians are like this. My friends, Niceanity is not what we're following according to this culture. I'm not trying to win friends and influence people like Ellen or Oprah. I'm preaching the gospel like Jesus. And most of those Christians themselves would be cowards and not even be able to say what the Bible says from the microphone like we're doing. They don't have to get excited and passionate like me, an Italian. But you know what? I just challenge any of them who think they can do it better. Just go up there and read Revelation chapter 20, 21, or 22 about the fiery judgment of God and who goes to hell. Just read it. Read Romans chapter 1 and how the Bible says that homosexuality is unnatural and they receive even in their body the due penalty that they deserve. That they would read off Galatians chapter 5 and all the deeds of the flesh and those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I would love for them just to read those scriptures and see how the same community, the same group they were trying to say they apologized to on behalf of Christians like me get up all in their face. Because the world has already made their decision to hate the light. They don't like what we have to say, but we are still to be the light. But let's look to Jesus, and let's see how Jesus acted when people were tyrannical towards him. Luke chapter 13, 31 through 32. Let's see if we find a hippie Jesus here. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He was the king of that time in that area. This is what Jesus replied. Go tell that fox, I'll keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Do you see the hippie Jesus there? Do you see hippie Jesus? Jesus said, you go tell that fox. I'm not done yet. And when I'm done, I'll decide when I'm done. <laughs> Praise God for Jesus. Let's just stop and understand that scripture just for a few minutes right here. Number one, Jesus calls a political leader a name. Jesus name called. If your box of worldviews 
of worldview and your beliefs that you put in that box is not able to hold inside that box a Jesus that calls names, your box is too small. You've got the wrong box. The Christian worldview box should be able to fit a Jesus that calls names. If you think calling names is always wrong and you're going to do that to people who do it, you're doing that to Jesus. Have you become more Christ-like than Christ? <laughs> Are you more Christian than Jesus? Are you better at life than him? Now, I like it when people say back, well, we're not Jesus. Well, then who am I supposed to be like? If they're like, well, he was the perfect son of God, he could get away with stuff like that. You know, Jesus is the only one that sends people to hell and all of that. So, so you know, Jesus is above our pay grade. We can't be like him. Okay, well, then who am I supposed to be like then? I mean, I understand I'm not the judge. He is. But if he makes the judgment, aren't I supposed to say what he judged and how he judged? I mean, I don't have to be Judge Judy and have her power to tell you what she said if you went away to the bathroom while we were watching the show. You can come back and ask me, what did Judge Judy say? And I can say, this is what Judge Judy said. And you know what? We are to be like Jesus and tell the judgments of Jesus. And so number one, we see Jesus called this man a name in government. Uh, the second thing is, Jesus was not moved by their law, suggestion, whatever you want to call that was, that Herod was doing, the authority that Herod was using, whether we, it, it would just be a restriction, uh, you know, whatever that was, Jesus was not moved by it. He said, I'm not moving. I'm going to keep preaching, and I'm going to finish what I've come here to do. Now, some of you might think to yourself, well, what about other scriptures in the Bible? Romans chapter 13, it talk about obeying laws of the land. Now, let me just say this, because I do have that in my notes. Feel free to scroll there right now if you already got it out, if you can multitask. I have it there. Trust me, I'm not going to ignore that. Well, right now you have one of two options. Either Jesus is contradicting Paul, or rather Paul, who came later, is contradicting Jesus. So your first option is, there's a contradiction in the Bible, because certainly Jesus is not listening to the order given to him, and Paul says to listen to orders. So there's no way around, if you're going to take both those passages seriously, and try to say we always have to obey orders, and uh, we got Jesus over here not obeying the orders. So your first option is to say the Bible just contradicts itself. The second thing, or your second option, is to say the Bible complements itself, that they go together, that there's a lesson we're supposed to get from Jesus resisting orders to Paul telling us to obey orders. Which one do you think I'm going with as a Christian? The Bible complements itself, doesn't contradict itself. So I will help you understand Romans 13 in just a few moments. But before I do, was Jesus alone? in resisting tyranny. No, of course not. Jesus came from a long line of godly prophets and leaders who resisted tyranny all the time. Maybe it'd be good to get a good definition here of tyranny before we go on. The word tyranny means cruel and oppressive government or rule, unreasonable or arbitrary use of power or control. Now, some of you might say, Pastor, really? Are we getting into tyranny? Are we going to use that word during this time just because we're being asked to be locked down a little bit longer than the science probably says or the evidence points to? Are you really going to use that word tyranny? Absolutely. Do you think the tyrannical jump right into tyranny or do you think they take steps? This is what I have studied. You go study it yourself, but over history, as an example, and if we don't know our history, we're bound to repeat it, the tyrannical always takes steps. I think right now those who disagree with us on fundamental issues of life are wanting to see how far they can push the button right now, or how far they can push the line, rather, and how much they can keep pushing that button to see what will cause us to react. They want to see how far they can go. Because listen to me, friends. The moment someone has the power over you to tell you where to go and where not to go, and the power over your finances to tell you what to buy and where to buy it, that person, that group, has ungodly amount of power. They have an ungodly amount of power. I'm just saying it. You better study your scriptures. The moment someone can control where you go 
and how you buy and spend your money. That is ungodly. Now, can free people and a free society restrict themselves for the sake of that society? Can they restrict their buying? Can they do those things on their own initiative or by suggestions or by reasonable request? Absolutely. And isn't that what most of us felt we were doing during the first six weeks of the corona? We were willing as free people to be restricted, even in states like Illinois. We trusted our governors to look at the science, to not make it political, and not to void our constitutional rights. But what began to happen as the science got out and the evidence came out? In a place like Illinois, we didn't fill up and overflow the hospitals. Maybe one or two on the south side, sadly, because 70% of the deaths in our city are coming from the African-American community who had some leaders tell them, like young rapper kind of leaders, that black people couldn't even get it. And they were having house parties. So sadly, there's been an epidemic there that has overrun some of those hospitals. But for the most part, especially in the other communities and the other counties, there hasn't been an overflow. And even in the city of Chicago, the McCormick Place did not even get filled to capacity. And they began to take it to the half capacity a few weeks ago. And now they're entirely shutting it down. It was only used to a small capacity. Now, we were all there trusting our leaders to do the right thing. But as we began to find out that the hospitals were not overflowing, that the majority of people who were getting it weren't having major reactions to it, as well as that it spread a lot faster than we ever thought. So as places like California and other states did random tests, they began to find out that many people had it maybe even as far back as October, November, December, January. And so the number... Uh, uh, the rate of, for, uh, of death, the, the number starts to get lower and lower as they do more and more tests and start to find out that there is a her herd immunity uh, that's beginning to happen. Now, I don't want to get into that too much in depth, but you might say to yourself, Pastor, is it worth this time and attention? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the tyrannical never start off as they end. They always start off promising things as you are exchanging your freedoms. And in this situation, it was promising you safety for the exchange of your religious freedom and your financial freedom. And it was violating the Constitution and violating the Bible. So was there a good reason to freely restrict ourselves? Absolutely. But after our governor at the end of April coming into May just blanketed the entire month of May and said, we're going to keep you guys on lockdown and we're not going to let you have more than two people in a boat. And if you know, if you uh, go out and do these kinds of things, we're still going to find you and do this. And we might open up the park a little bit, but we're not going to just let everybody come to the park. We're going to put restrictions on how we do this and restrictions on how we do that. And we're just going to look at the end of May for another solution. Well, according to the, the county clerk who sued him to override his authority, that was against even the Illinois Constitution, which was only supposed to have a 30-day period of emergency in times like this. And it doesn't make any sense. Why would people who had been quarantined for that amount of time need to remain quarantined? They say at the most it only takes two weeks before you know if you're sick. Now, some people may say, well, what about the asymptomatic folks? Why not keep them quarantined because we don't know? Well, the point is, we'll never know. We'll never know if you're asymptomatic. That's how it works. And so the point is, unless you're going to test the entire nation, you need to let it continue. And then once again, if you say, well, what about the hospitals being overwhelmed? They haven't been overwhelmed even during the peak. So if that's always been the issue, the issue has now been solved. We need to reopen and allow people to be free in their conscience, conscience uh, to be conscionable to decide what they want to do. You need to use your conscience. And some people, even after the trumpet is sounded and a lot of things go back to normal, I guarantee still won't go to large concerts or gatherings because they'll have that as an issue. They'll have to fight through in their mind to want to get around large groups. But let's look at the times of tyranny in the Bible. 
and how people responded to it. Once again, understanding that even the smallest amount of tyranny is worth resisting or at least being aware of, whether you resist or not is up to you, but is at least good to be aware of it because it never starts off the way it ends. Let's look at some people who were resistors of tyranny. Start off with Moses. I didn't even start with Moses' parents, but it just came to my mind. Moses' parents resisted uh, the orders of, of the Pharaoh to kill off their children and then put their child into safety. Remember, that was against governmental orders to save Moses in a basket. And then the, 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 the daughter of Moses, who took Moses, resisted the order. So there's just two, even at the story of Moses. Now we get to Moses. Moses resisted Pharaoh and asked to take the people out to worship. And as they went to go out to worship, he knew they were never coming back. They borrowed or took their possessions and looted the Egyptians. Read the Bible. So not only did Pharaoh resist the wicked slave master Pharaoh, but he also took advantage of him and plundered Egypt. The Bible says that. Rahab resisted the officials of Jericho searching for the spies and hid the Jewish spies in her home and she was blessed for doing so as her own nation, her own city was destroyed. You ever hear of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They all resisted Babylon in different ways. They didn't want to eat their food. They didn't want to pray to their gods. And they didn't want to stop having their religious freedom when it was forced upon them to do so. How do you think Daniel ended up in a lion's den? Our Bible is full of people resisting tyranny. Hello, somebody. Might this be a reason why nations like Islam and China or, or religious powers that are run by Islam and places like China and North Korea, do you think that's probably why they make the Bible illegal? Do you think that's probably why the slave masters changed the Bible? They would give their own slaves that took out the stories of the Exodus and the stories of freedom for slaves, etc. There's actually called the slave owner's Bible or the slave Bible that they would give them. Read about They took out those things. Why? Because the Bible is full of liberation. The Bible is full of resisting tyranny. And is it any coincidence that the one nation that defeated the, one, the other nation that was putting tyranny all over the world, the British, was a group of Christian people? Not everything the early Americans did was Christian, but it took a Christian group of people to destroy the power of the empire of England. Now, someone might say, well, they were supposedly Christian too. Yeah, that's the danger of having a quote-unquote Christian nation ruled with a king and a priest. That's what it looks like. And also study Roman Catholicism throughout the Dark Ages and the Inquisitions. It should not be ruled by one authority. And that's why the letter of separation of church and state is not that the church won't have a place in the state. It's simply saying the state will not be run by the church and the church church will not be run by the state. But of course you can bring your Christian beliefs into the state and the state can help secure the rights of the church to give them freedoms and liberty and safety. So we got to just a few. Let's keep going. What about David resisting Saul, the king of that time, who actually wanted to kill him? John the Baptist refusing to stop rebuking Herod about his adulterous relationship. You could almost hear the people at that time of the Nicianity police saying, shame on you, John. You're going to get arrested. Stop yelling in front of this guy's palace that he's an adulterer. He's a king. Leave him alone. He's given you a cease and desist order. Stop, John. John kept preaching and he got beheaded. I've even heard naive, silly preachers say that this is an example of John being bullheaded and being prideful and reaping the destruction that came upon him because he was so foolish. Otherwise, he would have been a great disciple of Jesus living a longer life. What a dumb thing to say. Because not only is that not true about John the Baptist, Jesus said he was the greatest man born of a woman. <laughs> Hello. Up until that time, Jesus literally said he's the greatest man born of a woman. Not only that, but we start off the book of Acts with preachers dying on their first sermon because they wouldn't stop preaching in the same place where they had crucified their Lord and Savior. 
Jesus, as we just read, resisted tyranny of his time. Peter and the disciples, as I've mentioned before, and Paul. How many more people do I need to name? They resisted tyranny. Now at this point, people may say, well, pastor, what about these other scriptures that supposedly tell us to take it and just keep taking it? If they slap you on your one cheek, turn to them the other side. If a Roman soldier wants you to go one mile and carry his armor, go with him too. Don't resist. Don't resist. Joe, what do we do with that? Romans 13, obey, submit, do those things, okay? We're going to get into those scriptures, but I have to ask you a question. Are you willing... To accept the Bible then has contradictions. Because if you're not willing to show a complementarian nature of those passages with everything I just showed you through the lives of the apostles and the saints, including Jesus, if you're not willing to accept a contradiction in your Bible, you must then be open to the complement nature of what you have been seeing in the lives of the people of the scripture compared to what these, uh, these statements are teaching you. So let's get into them quickly. Lest you say that I'm brushing over this too fast. I don't have time to read all the passages, but you can see I have them listed here. Let me just share them with you in brief. When the Bible says through Paul in Romans 13, 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which has been established by God. When he says that, do you think that means that you are to submit to tyrannical rule? That Jesus was to listen to Herod and stop preaching? That Moses' parents weren't supposed to hide Moses in the river? That the disciples weren't supposed to keep preaching? They were to stop when the leaders told them to stop. Is that what you think it means? If you don't think it means that, then what does it mean? It reveals itself right in the next set of verses. What does it say? For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. When do we submit to the rulers? When we have no fear of being punished for doing what is right. My friends, if they are punishing what is right, like saving your children, like homeschooling, which in some nations it's illegal to homeschool, or spanking your children, some nations don't allow that, or for uh, other things that we've talked about today, when they make the right actions of citizen freedom and Christian liberty, when they make those right actions wrong, they are no longer the kind of rulers you are to submit to. Not according to the scripture. Because the scripture is using the example of those who hold together the peace of a nation, those who hold together the economics of a nation, even a wicked nation like Rome offered those kinds of things to its people. But the moment a ruler is now a terror to those who do right instead of those who do wrong. They are to be resisted. It is good for those in China to resist their government. Why? Because their government is now a terror to those who are doing right. Not wrong, but to the right people. Oh, come on, somebody. I wish I had half a church I could hear an amen. Somebody chat it right now. You better know how to work the word, my friends. Don't take things out of context. Understand the context of the scripture. When the Bible says submit to them because they are a terror to those who do wrong and they are a rewarder of those who do right, it's talking about a government that's not infringing upon your personal liberties or your religious liberties. The moment your personal liberties are, are sinned against or your, uh, your social liberties are sinned against, you are able to resist. Now, let me just pause here and say this. You don't have to resist. As I mentioned before, the reason why America has community like, communities like the Amish that I grew up with that did not have to go to the draft, 
that could be a conscientious objector. The reason why our Christian nation has that, a people ruled by Christian mindsets, rather, you know what I mean, not Christian by being ruled by the Bible, but the reason why our government officials allowed that to happen early on is because we are not a nation that forces you to resist what you don't want to resist. So during the time of the American Revolution, if there were Christians, as there were at that time, who were pacifists, and they didn't want to fight, they didn't have to fight. Today, if you're a pacifist, and there was a draft, you don't have to be drafted. Did you know that? We give you that liberty here in America. But my friends, just because you choose to be a pacifist doesn't mean that God is a pacifist. Just because you choose to be a vegetarian doesn't mean that God didn't command animal sacrifice, okay? Just because you choose by your conscience to do those things doesn't mean that the right has not been afforded to you. And so when we look to the Bible, we see that at times they would stand up against their uh, tyranny. Other times they didn't. And that was between them and God. And we can see that as a nation as well. And by the way, as I mentioned in our introduction, all of those opposing groups were the ones trying to stop the Christians by scriptures like this. The British use scriptures like this. You guys say you're Christians, because don't always people do that. The moment they find out you're a Christian, well, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to take my client, are you? Aren't I supposed to get it? No, baby, it's a competition. I won and kicked your butt. Get over, get another client. Well, you're a Christian. Aren't you supposed to give stuff away? Now when it comes to working and being successful, I remember one time being uh, just on a volleyball court, spiking on somebody. They're like, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? You're not supposed to play like that. No, I'm going to play like that even more because you said that now. Come on. We're not supposed to win in life because we're Christians. We're not supposed to fight in life because we're Christians. We're not supposed to resist tyranny because we're Christians. The devil would love you to be broke, busted, and disgusted, and ruled by tyranny. That's what he would love for you. But you have these rights according to the Bible, and Christians and godly people have used them. But going back to this, the British told them, hey, you're supposed to submit to governing authority. You're supposed to submit to us. The white slave masters, see Romans 13, you're supposed to submit to us in the time of the civil rights. See, you guys are supposed to submit to us and sit where we tell you to sit. In Germany, Nazi Germany, aren't you Christians supposed to be pacifists? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, became a spy and tried to poison Hitler. Come on, he's one of the heroes because don't we always look back at Nazi Germany like, oh my goodness, was there not one or two of you Germans that could do something? You know, it's just every picture we see, you're either in the, you know, the Third Reich or whatever, or you're just sitting somewhere in a village making your sausage. You know, it's like, what in the world? Didn't you do anything? Well, there was a bunch of them. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who became a spy and tried to poison, you know, uh, you know, the Fuhrer there. But the problem was, is they kept getting killed and imprisoned with everybody else, so we don't hear a lot about them. But there was definite German Christian resistance, praise the Lord. And there was passive uh, resistance, like Anne Frank and others who uh, had, you know, uh, uh, hid Jews and people like Corey Tim Boone, praise God for that. Okay, so once again... When we get to the scriptures, do we see that there's a both and? Yeah, there's a both and. We uh, submit when the government is a terror to wrongdoing and a blessing to the righteous. We submit to that. Whenever that is flipped around, we have an example throughout all of our scriptures, including Jesus, to resist that. Well, what about Jesus when he talked about, you know, turning the other cheek and, you know, we're not supposed to be an eye for an eye. Okay, hold on now. Those of you who believe this way, once again, are you going to create a contradiction in the Bible? Sometimes people say, well, that was the Old Testament. Now the New Testament, we're just supposed to get whooped all the time. Have you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> okay, come on, somebody. And remember, it was Paul who said that the Roman soldier carries the sword for justice as a servant of God. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. The question is now, who carries the sword? Who slaps you? Who is asking you to walk? What are those conditions? Okay, let's go through this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We don't do it like that anymore. In what context? In the context now of seeking revenge in civil matters. If you accidentally poked out my eye in a fight, 
or while we're out working, I am not supposed to seek that revenge of your literal eye being poked out because the revenge doesn't do anything for either, either person. The whole world gets blind. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, do you think that means not only can you come to my house right now because a sinner would love to know who you are, can poke out your eye, your daughter's eye, rape your whole family, and then just occupy your house? You think that's what it means, you pacifist nincompoop? You think that's what it means? You can just now let a rapist, a child molester, let all of them know then I won't resist you. You can poke me in the eye. You can poke my daughter in the eye. You can put, that's not what it means. That's why pacifism can also be sinful at times. Because though I grew up with the Amish, and I'm thankful that they like to do that. Listen to me, sir. Listen to me, Amish pacifist friend. If it wasn't for my grandparents and others going to fight Nazi Germany, you'd be wearing a swastika right now, not having your freedom. People had to die so you could have the choice not to go fight. That's why I love this story about the one Seventh-day Adventist Christian who went to go fight, uh, went to join the war, but he didn't carry a gun, but he served people medically. You could do something so that we can have our freedom because it costs something. It's free, but it's not free for them on the battlefield. Can I get a chat and amen on that? And so when they're asking you for a shirt or they're asking you to walk, some of this you may not have a choice over. But when you have the choice to protest or a choice to get away from it, shouldn't you? Like if you hit me on my one cheek and, and I look at you and I go, man, why'd you hit me on the cheek? And then you hit me on the other. What am I supposed to do? Just let you keep beating me up? The idea is if you hit me on the cheek, I'm supposed to be patient enough. Like sometimes you see in these fight movies and be like, okay, you got that one. Now let's walk away and it's over. Because Jesus never told me what to do after you hit the other cheek, you know. But technically he did. That's why I'll get into Ecclesiastes. You can already see a peekaboo in there. There is a time to fight. You hit me on the other cheek. This is now not just a disagreement. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a civil matter that you're just working through together. No, this is now you're trying to occupy me. You're trying to dominate me. You're wanting to hurt me. You want to hurt the people I love. I am going to defend myself. And so, once again, if you want to get beat up, that's up to you. I'll give them one slap. That's it. Are you listening? And so these scriptures don't do away with justice. Because how else would we be able to punish anybody? Because literally what it says is it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, give them two. If you want to take this into every governmental issue, well, that means the guy, he stole your car, go give him your other car. Is that what you think it literally means? Are you, come on, people. I guess, I mean, I get so fed up with people taking scriptures out of context to try to slap the Christian so they can take advantage of us. That's not what it means. What it's talking about is in your daily affairs, somebody, you know, is messing with your, your, your house, you know. Uh, like I look at, think about my neighbor. They kept putting stuff in my yard that didn't belong and all of that. And you're trying to work it through and you're being patient. And at some point you go, you know what? You can have your way, all right. But I'm not, I'm not going to fight you over this. Let's say they slap you, go, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight you back. You try to do your best to resolve that situation. But they come into your house, they take your house, they take your. You understand? There's a difference. And so I like the way C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis said, in our everyday activities, we are to be like pacifists. But when it crosses the line into our human flourishing into our liberty, into our children's liberty, it would now be sinful not to stop the wicked. Because think about it, if I see you hurting somebody else, and it's in my power to stop you, and I don't, I'm actually encouraging the wicked to do that, because then they're going to keep doing it more and more. That's why Ecclesiastes says there is a time to fight. There is a time for peace. There is a time to kill, and there's a time to heal. Maybe my neighbor and I might be fighting over the fence. We might be fighting over something like this, and, and things like this, you know, pop off. Well, I'm not supposed to seek revenge. I'm supposed to be a good neighbor. You know, but like I said, there's a line that crosses, and I don't know always where that line is. You know, I, uh, one, one time I was in a fight and I didn't throw punches. I just wrestled the guy because I didn't want to give him, you know, black eye and bloody nose. But I was done taking his, his junk. And there's just times where you have to say enough's enough. And, this is, and that's the reason why Romans 13 says there is supposed to be somebody carrying the sword. So who do you want carrying the sword? Somebody who has no conscience or a Christian. I want Christians in, in military, Christians in the police department so that they know how to do what's right. Come on, somebody. In closing today, thank you for your time. When should you resist tyranny? And let me back out and say this real quick before we close out here. You know, last week when I preached the way, I gave the word that I did before I preached, somebody who knows our church 
And by the way, uh, March and April were the two biggest financial months for us in January, uh, in, in 2020, better than January and February. So thank you all for your giving. God has been blessing us. And if we can be a help to you, let us know how to do that. But, but listen, if somebody who knows our church knew, knew about me saying that, they might say, Joe, why are you saying it's okay biblically to resist this lockdown? You really don't have a lot of small business owners that have an issue with this. Their small businesses are fine because they're in different venues that are not really being affected. And most of your people probably aren't into protests or political movements. Why would you say that? You're more at risk at offending liberal-minded Chicagoans who only listen to Rachel Maddow or other liberal-minded people and have no idea of worldview issues because their pastor never told them a thing about worldview, just went along spinelessly. Okay, you're going to do more to offend these liberal members of your church who actually love you than to actually promote somebody protesting because really nobody in your church is going to do that. Listen to why I would do that. Number one, I fear God over man. I'm always going to say what God says regardless of, of the outcome. But number two, I'm not preaching to a church that I just have. I'm preaching to a church that I want to have. When that man Monday, that, cl that county clerk or that, uh, that county rep, whatever, when he went out and sued the mayor, I'm preaching as if that guy goes to my church. I believe for a church where, come on, county reps, come to this church. I'm believing God for mayors to come to this church. And when worldview issues are happening, they need to come to church going, what's my pastor saying from the word of God? Now, that doesn't mean they have to take my word as their word. They need to take that as a source and then go weigh it and then make their own decision. But, hello, everybody else has their gurus, their, their confidence, uh, the people that they go speak to, confidentiality. I want a government that comes to churches like this and hears what the word of God says and what they do is up to them. All right. So when do you resist tyranny according to the Bible? Well, one when evil people hinder you from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I would encourage everybody here to read the Declaration of Independence, at least the first couple of paragraphs, to see how influenced they were by Christian thought. That's why they believed in these things, is because God granted government the ability to help distribute these, earths, these, these rights to men on earth, mankind, and that they were summarized as life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So when is it good to resist tyranny when evil people hinder you from that? Number two... Or when evil people prevent you from practicing the Christian religion as the Bible prescribes. And a part of our Christian religion is gathering together, right? A part of that is gathering together. So listen, my friends, it's one or the other. And it sometimes can be both. One nation may, like let's say uh, Sweden. Sweden may be an amazing nation that lets you have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But they'll restrict you from maybe spanking your children. And I don't know which European nation it is, but I'm just using them as an example. But I know there's ones that do. Oh, they'll restrict you from homeschooling. Well, the Bible says you can practice your religion that way. Okay? So they may be giving you number one, but they're not doing number two. You can resist them. Do you understand that? You don't have to not spank your child because they tell you not to spank your child. Your religion permits you to spank your child. Your religion permits you to homeschool your children. That is your religion, okay? Now, you look at your life, your situation. Are either one of those things happening? If they are, then you pray that God grants your conscience the right to resist. So you would say, I'm doing it on behalf of God. God has spoken this to me. And then, listen, you have to be willing to face whatever consequences you receive. So why? Have I not kept us gathering in church? Why have I not done that? Because I don't want to go through the consequence of having to wrestle with the governor in this state. It's not worth it for me. I can do just as much online at this time. I would cross it eventually, but at this time I can do it. And now he's grinding us up to 10, so I think we'll start having small closed meetings in our life groups. People have choices for, for that or for our Sunday services. We'll probably be meeting at the church now because the governor did that. But listen... I had the choice to whether or not I would do that. And you would have the choice to whether or not you would come to church. This is real deal, friends. Do you believe the Bible? This is real deal. This is where the rubber meets the road. And then we would have to face whatever consequences that would be upon us. And God would grant us the strength to do that. Okay, so why do I believe in Illinois, in states like that, that I do believe we should resist tyranny? Because the extension has gone more than 30 days and it violates our First Amendment rights. And one of our rights is the right for people to peacefully assemble. 
I'm not talking about house parties and large groups. I'm not talking about throwing out science. I still believe in social distancing, and that's what the doctors are saying. They're still deciding about masks, but for the safe side, I, I, I'm okay with masks, whatever, right? But this is violating not only our Constitution of America, but even the Illinois Constitution or the set of laws that they made in times of disaster with uh, plagues or diseases, that it would be 30 days and it would go on from there. And then number two is it jeopardizes our lives, our liberties, and our pursuit of happiness. It was announced even just here in the city of Chicago, as I've mentioned to you before, that they're now shutting down the, the McCormick Center. So the, uh, the idea of overwhelming our hospitals and all of this, that we should choose to, to not go out because we don't want to overwhelm our hospitals and healthcare workers, is, is no longer a risk. And then number two, now the healthy are in danger of weakening their immune system unless they get out. Because it's always been in the best practice to quarantine the sick, not the healthy. And for people's mental health and for their livelihood to make a living, they should be able to get out safely. And then the sick, right? They're not going to always be sick. I mean, God forbid some will die, right? But those who are not, not sick unto death, when they recover, they need a society to come back to. They need a people group that can accept them in their job. They don't want to come back after having all these hospital bills then to no longer have a job. That's even worse. And so what do I think as a pastor? And let me just say this too. Sometimes people have said to me in my chat, pastor, they put in quotations, what do you think? Is if I shouldn't speak to these issues. My friends, what do you think are back here? Do you think these are comic books? What do you think I have back here right now? Are these comic books? These are books. You're saying that I can read this kind of a book, but I can't read a history book or a medical journal. You, you think I'm stupid? You think my doctorate is made out of bubblegum paper? What do you think I do for a living, my friends? I read, I study, and I disseminate information. Now, if you've gone to a church where they don't know how to do that and they're not educated, I apologize, but I already have my master's and I'm getting my doctorate. Now, does that make me an expert? Of course it doesn't make me an expert. It doesn't make Bill Gates one either. But Bill Gates, like me, studies. That's why he's in charge of stuff that he has no degree for. You study and you get around smart people and you weigh the evidence. That's what leaders do. They're called readers as well. Are you listening? And so this idea that, well, I don't want a pastor that weighs in on these things. Okay, well, hang out with the Nazis then. You'll, you'll love what Nazis say because they don't like when Christians weigh in on things either. Where do you think Harvard, Princeton, and Yale came from? They were Bible colleges, Christians. Where do you think civil rights came from? Where do you think all that? And some people like science, science, and they love Darwin. Darwin only had a Bible college degree. They don't even know history. It's so foolish how dumb people can be at times. Uh, the foolishness of the, uh, of the fools are, are frust is frustrating, isn't it? But now having said all of that, as your pastor, someone who loves you, who studies not only books about theology, but books about history and medical journals, not only do I do all that, he here's what I want to encourage you to understand. Whether you partake in it or not, it's up to you. I'm not forcing you to do one thing. You Listen, we could be in a world war right now and I wouldn't force you to join because you can be a conscientious objector. Do you guys get that? So if you don't ever want to get out and do one thing that's different than what your governor said during this time, that's totally up to you. But you have to understand, in states like Illinois, your governor has acted cruelly. He has acted outside of the bounds of law for your Christian conscience, uh, for your Christian freedoms, and for your national freedoms. And all of this will get worked out in courts and things later on down the road. But as I told you, they're always pushing the buttons. And we don't have time. Think about it. All the lawsuits, all the, uh, the things that are going to be brought in after this. All, who has the time to keep up with all that, honestly? And who's going to know all the laws that have already changed and how they changed? That's why I thank God for people like Ben Shapiro and others who, who get experts on to study these things. And I would suggest you following them or another Christian leader like Robert Gagnon who's been following these things. Because I wouldn't be surprised that outside of this, Laws have changed that have infringed our rights permanently. 
But who knows until it's actually done. I'm not a conspiratorial person. I just know after 9-11, there was more rights taken from us in our privacy. And there's going to be more rights taken from us probably out of this because evil people take advantage of crises. They don't want us to be woke. They want us to think that in exchange for safety, they'll take away more of our rights. And let me just say this real quick as I go a little bit long today. Let, let me just say this. Do you know I can guarantee you that you won't die of drowning? That you won't die from a handgun? Do you know that I can guarantee you that right now? I can guarantee that you will not die from, uh, from any kind of uh, infectious disease. You know I can guarantee you of that? How do I do that? Well, number one, I can guarantee you won't drown because I'll never let you swim. Now, you'll never drown, right? I can guarantee you'll never die of a handgun because I'll make handguns illegal where I'm going to put you and no one will ever own one. I can also guarantee you'll never catch a disease because I'm going to put you by your a, a contagious disease because I'm going to put you somewhere up here in, in the uh, Siberian, uh, you know, wilderness. Okay, do you see, do you see that? So this idea that they're protecting us, they're protecting us. My friend, I can protect you by putting you in a jail cell. How do you like that? You won't have a gun. You will have nobody to catch a disease from, and you won't have to worry about drowning. What did I have to do to protect you? In exchange for protecting you, what did I have to do? Take away your rights. That's why God blessed America isn't about protecting you from all the hurtful things of the world. They're about giving you rights and giving you the freedom to have those rights and help protect yourself. And there may be times we will protect you from war and other things like that's what America will do. But it's not America's job to protect you from drowning. That's your job. It's not America's job to protect you from you shooting yourself by accident with a handgun or catching a disease. They can help you. They can call upon their citizens to help you but once again they're giving you the right to pursue your life to have your freedom your liberty and to have happiness because anytime you want me to you don't want any of those things you want me to protect you from them let me know let me know because there's a country called North Korea that will protect you from a lot of that all right now what do I think <laughs> hallelujah what do I think states should be doing right now according to the Bible and according to the Constitution we should be able to have church gatherings with social distance. And if mass works, use them. We're not sure yet on mass people go back and forth. But if they want to lean towards the cautious side, okay, fine. But church gatherings should be wide open. That should be there. Our governor has allowed us to have 10. We'll see about what we do moving forward. But listen, church gatherings shouldn't be, should be a no-brainer. There's more people in most Walmarts and, and hardware stores than there are in most churches. Come on. Number two. Ceremony should continue with those same considerations, social distancing, mask if they work. Number three, parks should be open, beaches. All of these city and state-run parks should be open freely for people to use at their own risk. And then number four, businesses should be open. Let the employers with the employees decide upon what is safe and help them make those decisions together. Don't just keep them shut down for another 30 days. There's no point in that. There is no scientific point in that. And then the last one, which I didn't have a chance to update, is to allow people to fellowship. Allow them to be with their friends and family in small groups, once again practicing those things. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. How many are glad you came to church today? Come on, somebody chat amen. Do you understand what tyranny is now? Even if you don't agree with me, do you at least understand what it is? A pastor took time to explain it to you. Do you now understand that the Bible is filled with people standing against tyranny, even our Jesus? Do you understand that there's a reconciliation, a harmony, a complementary nature between the scriptures that talk about resisting tyranny and the ones that talk about abiding under governments and turning the other cheek? Do you understand there's a harmony with those things? Today, do you see that in Illinois, godly people like myself, godly representatives, by, that way that, by the way, the man who put the restraining order on the governor's orders, that state rep, had no idea about him. He could have just been a libertarian. He's a Christian doing Bible studies. He, he organized prayer meetings. So listen, do you see that there are godly Christian people, both in government and out of government, who read and study, who say to you, you're being violated in, in, in states like Illinois? Do you, do you at least hear us? It's up to you now, but do you at least hear us? And then lastly, do you see the suggestions that I'm personally making for the better of our culture 
Do you see that the science is behind that right now? Do you see that other students are doing, uh, states are doing that right now? And that we need to move on in life, even though at the beginning I mentioned this is very much a judgment of God. It has serious consequences. Death is real. People are suffering. I totally get that. But to move forward now, we do that with our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Letting individuals in their own conscience make decisions with helpful guidelines. Do you see that? Now, would you pray about that? You pray and do whatever God puts in your heart. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for your neighbor. Don't blame anything on me. If you catch something... Don't blame anything on me. I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to take the risk of violating some of the governor's stay-at-home orders, and I'm willing to get COVID. It doesn't matter to me, for my family. This is the best way we feel forward. It's up to you what you feel moving forward. But I had to speak this to you to clear my conscience. My conscience as your pastor had to be clean because I can't sit back and watch all of this and know better and not help you. So I pray you do what's right now. Father, we thank you for a, a message like today. Lord, that teaches us how to live for you in a culture like this and the situations that we're facing. Lord, first and foremost, we pray for all those who've been impacted by this sickness, either themselves or their loved one, those who have recovered and those who've been lost. We pray for the healing of those who miss their loved ones, those who have lost jobs or suffered during this time. We ask you to be with all the first responders, those who put themselves in harm's way so that others can be taken care of. Lord, we also do what's biblical. We pray for our leaders that they'll make godly decisions based on wisdom, sound science, and according to the rules that have been put in place as our Constitution affords them. And Lord, help us as Christians to be free, to promote freedom, to encourage others to be safe and also to have their rights. Lord, we ask that this will be done according to your power, that you will bless our nation and bring revival as we repent from our sins, and that you will do a great work in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Also want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, a lot of today's message assumed that Jesus was your Lord and Savior. But if you haven't, repent of your sins now. See that life is temporary. Look at what's happened during the COVID time as a warning and come close to Jesus so that you can withstand whatever troubles are ahead. If you want to do that now, put out your name. We'll have somebody reach out to you to pray with you to accept Christ. If you're a Christian and you want to be a part of a church like this that's not afraid about talking to cultural issues and you want to be made a disciple, put your name out right now on that chat and somebody will reach out to you. And if you have any prayer request, any need, we are here for you. We love you. Reach out to us as well and we wish you the best. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful day.